everybody. Welcome to the Rain City Podcast, hosted by Steve Kim. I'm here with Becca. Becca's in the house. Uh, we have, unfortunately, Joyce couldn't make it, so we got Tyler in the house. Welcome. Hey, hey. All right. So today we are going to follow up on a sermon that Steve spoke on last Sunday on money and generosity and giving. So um, I think it's going to be a really interesting topic. Just to give a little bit of background on Ty, um, he's he's a consultant. I'll give you a little intro. He's a consultant extraordinaire, uh, works for an amazing uh, tech company, um, and has you know a business degree at UBC, so he's very familiar in uh, finance, and he has a great TikTok uh, following there. So maybe, yeah, you can share a little bit about... Uh, your passions, or, or yeah, just say, say a little hello. Well, that was a pretty good intro, Thanks, Josh. <laughs> um, yeah, as he said, a graduate from UBC, did a double major in business computer science, uh, wanted to be a little bit of a software developer and then uh, investment banker, and then now sort of pseudo-management consultant. So that's kind of a little bit of what I do. Awesome. And uh, uh, a podcast producer in training. <laughs> yes, sir. So, yeah, Steve, um, any thoughts on um, just following up on on uh, finance and how the church, like, what what message does the, does the church play um, in, like, finance and, and giving and generosity? Well, I want to know what you guys think about how what finance should play. What role should money play in the in the role of the church? I want to get your thoughts first. I had a long day at the bank. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, pretty they, crazy. They, they messed up some stuff, and I was like there for two hours. Yeah, it's been a long day. Long day at the bank. Long story short, apparently I still have mortgages out there <laughs> that I it's paid never off, happened before. Paid off. Five years ago and three years ago. I don't know anything, but I have open mortgages out there. <laughs> so you got multiple houses, Steve. Multiple <laughs> potential houses. It's not. O- <laughs> it's on my credit bureau. It's crazy. So I had to close all that, and the banks forgot to do it. We're the little guys. They don't care about us. Mm. Anyways, what do you guys think about the role of money in the in the arena of the church. There's uh, there's some different views about it, and mm-hmm. spirit of poverty came in through uh, the monastics. Mm-hmm. So, Saint Francis of Assisi was one. But I, before I do that, why don't you guys tell me? Tiny coin. <laughs> Nobody knows the meme. Nobody knows what that means, but yeah. we will ex- expound on that a little later. What do you think? What do you think, Tyler? So we'll make this a trend. But yeah. <laughs> um. Let's see if we can include uh, crypto in this talk. Oh gosh. Definitely, <laughs> we need we need to understand. I need I still don't get crypto, but we need to understand it. Um, finance in the church. Uh, well, I've really only been part of uh, Rain City for a w- little while, so I don't think I have the uh, most balanced perspective. But I think. I mean, like any organization, finance plays a crucial part because it kind of sustains operations. Like you need finance for just about everything. Like it costs money to have electricity, water, uh, the basic things. And then if you want to make, you know, 
events to kind of bridge between like non-christians and christians that costs money so uh if you think well part of as part of my job we always thinking about like business models and like cash flow like are you going to produce revenue things like that and obviously if you think about in a church like revenue is essentially tithing and people who are giving to the church on a weekly basis uh, unless there's kind of like one-off donations so if you think about that it's it's like a weekly source of income so how do you kind of maximize or i guess best utilize that money uh because it's it kind of grows with the number of followers but again as a church like you don't really necessarily want to optimize for number of followers so i think it's <laughs> an interesting topic but not always my. not always when we we were uh, our old church when we were about 50 members our tithing super were exceeded some churches that were a few hundred mm. which shows you that it's not thought of like the way you think about it so it's refreshing the way you think about it, like it's revenue. I'm very objective about it. I'm like, I, I sometimes I think just straight up, people come to church and they consume, right? It's a consu they consume the sermon, they consume people, they events and activities, and then they just they never ask, oh, where, do, where are we getting all the resources for doing all this? So it's It's like that. Like, you would never think like that if you went to a community center and then you had all these uh, events that you're always uh, expecting to, like, mm. give some finance or, like, resources. I there's a, there's They're giving me something of value, and I need to return that. In there's an exchange. There's a transaction. But we don't want to think of it like that in the church because it's beyond transactional. It's beyond. It's not a payment. Tithing is not a payment to the church. Mm -hmm. But... At the most rudimentary level, there is that element, like, I, I you know, like, uh, for example, like, there's pastors who, when I first came here to Vancouver, um, they told me that they were going to give me $2,000 to be, as like, the senior English pastor of a large church, mm. 400 people plus. They had a pretty big church and lots of English-speaking people. I was supposed to be in charge, graduated seminary, and then I was, I was, I was about to get paid in uh, Orange County a lot more, but we chose this job because we felt like God called us to Vancouver. And then when we came here, they said, "No, no, we we're not decided on you yet." And then told us we're going to give you a thousand dollars. They cut it in half, mm. but my rent was almost all of that. So. Mm. It's kind of like, and then they said, the point is, they said, you should be thankful because most average pastors here full-time get 500 a month. Mm. So Full-time? Yes. So wow. I just wonder, I don't know if they were like pulling my leg. I said, that's not possible. Mm -hmm. But I just think that idea, like, I don't think it computes with people. Like, I think people think that ministers are... They should be do it out of their heart, and they should like suffer. They should take three jobs. And mm -hmm. This is all like part of the suffering process or something. But I completely don't agree with that. I, I don't even think that's biblical. Yeah, I mean, I think that is kind of like the common view. Like, oh, you're a pastor. You're a worker of God. You shouldn't be working for money. You work for God. But then they somehow associate that as like, you know, you're doing all this charity work and 
but yeah like living in vancouver it's like not practical at all in fact i think like the original mandate of you know god calling us to be fruitful and multiply is to like bring god's kingdom and like rule and reign here so for me i see you know money as a way to manage and steward resources so and yeah we just use money as that metric so knowing that mandate i think yeah we're, we're supposed to learn that in the church because um that should be educated but i think what money's not often preached in the church as often right so so it's kind of well, a mismatch yeah, it's, it's something that i don't like to talk about yeah but I don't mind talking about it. I used to not like it, and I minded it. And I didn't. I felt very awkward when I was talking about it. But these days, I have no problem talking about <laughs> it <laughs> because it's the truth. I can't. And people say I'm polarizing. So, hey, I'm gonna just live up to that name. Polarize <laughs> some more. But you know, I think it is a big deal. There is a spirit of poverty uh, mm. in the church, mm-hmm. in the world, actually. That is the root cause of all evil when it pertains to money but mm-hmm. what do you think becca what what are your thoughts um just thinking about like your sermon on sunday um i think i was similar to you before how it's like kind of awkward to talk about money or like feeling even just like asking people for donations for global joy is kind of like oh like only if you can or like please pray about it which you know definitely like you know only if you can and please pray about it but um, feeling awkward to ask people, but then after your sermon and like, kind of like providing it as an opportunity to like advance kingdom work kind of thing, mm-hmm. kind of shifted that perspective and made it a lot easier for me to ask. GoFundMe Global Joy Foundation. <laughs> We're only halfway there, please. Shameless plug. And I'm not shameful. I'm not ashamed at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. This is your privilege to partake mm. in some amazing things that we're going to do in Africa. I don't yeah. want to pay. So I don't, so don't want to pay out of my own pocket to do all the programs that we want to do. Mm-hmm. So, and I, w- I don't want these guys like Becca to pay out of her pocket. She's, you know, mm. she we need. So we can I go I ahead? Stay in Vancouver. Can I ask like, why do you think people shy away from like? like why is money such a taboo topic in the church like Mm. of course yeah i think one one typical mindset is like oh that prosperity gospel so people really like are against that but other than that like why do you think it's so so taboo i think there's two extremes there's a prosperity gospel that says you know if you are uh you have if you're faithful you have faith and you should be prosperous Mm -hmm. so it's a causal relationship so that's the problem with the prosperity gospel Mm. That is causal. It's not a. It's not dependent on God, who is prosperous. And ultimate goal of our lives is to have prosperity, which is heaven. So it's like that idea of being. If we're sick, is it's really related to the faith preachers? So mm-hmm. the idea that if you're sick, then you don't have enough faith, which is completely not mm-hmm. wrong. So it's like that. It's the same kind of rationale. If you don't have enough faith, then you're not rich, you're poor. Mm-hmm. So it's like they say it's a causal relationship. There is a, they don't really leave room for the mystery of God. They're really trying to control God by these faith principles. So that's wrong. But there's also the other extreme, which is the poverty spirit, mm-hmm. which is the idea that we're not, spo- we're not supposed to be poor. 
we're supposed to be beggars and paupers and mm. dependent on like the charity of God and which is somewhat true. So all these rationales have like some bits of truth in it. Mm. It seems rational, but it's all like twisted logic and um the poverty spirit came from San Francisco Assisi. Mm. And that's the vows of chastity, poverty. Came, you know, like vows of chastity, I'm not gonna get married. Mm. <laughs> not going to have sex with anybody, that idea. Mm-hmm. That didn't turn out too well. well that was that like a response from uh, it's another a resp- It's a resp- The monastic monastic movement was a response to excess. Uh-huh. From what era? From the, well, the Middle Ages. Okay. So there was an early church father, and then as the church became the modern, like became the dominant religion in Christendom through Constantine. Oh right. So the empire like the roman empire became christian Mm -hmm. became the official religion and once that happened then all these bishops and these religious rulers started becoming feudal lords they started having Mm. land because you know they built churches there they started getting power and then that corrupted them Mm. and then there was nepotism so they they started giving their nephews and kids Mm. power and land and then became some kind of like power play and then these pure Christians that said, this is so wrong. Mm-hmm. So they escaped to the desert and they became mm. like desert monks. Like St. Anthony was one of the first. Hmm. And then they realized, oh, we don't like being alone in the desert. So let's get other mo- uh, other guys <laughs> come here. <laughs> and then they cl- created the monastic movement, okay. aesthetics. So they were completely wanted to be purified of all evil excess. Mm-hmm. And so they thought like sex was evil and Money was evil. Like materialism. Yeah, all that stuff. Mm. So they wanted to live a simple life. But Mm. that also was an error because it was uh, in response to excess. So Mm. whenever you respond to something, you also get also deceived yourself. Mm. You should always proact despite what you're seeing. You have to see what is the essential truth and live by that truth no matter what. So Christianity is not like sentiment. No matter how sentimental as and how much it sounds good, it's not the gospel. Bible is very clear. We're, you know, we're we're not supposed to be borrowing. We're supposed to be lending. That was the command of the Jews. Mm. Mm. That Abraham was supposed to be blessed, and the Israel was supposed to be so abundantly blessed that they are supposed to be the lenders. Mm. And that every mm. seven years, they're they're supposed to give people freedom from that. In debtitude, and so that's what we call every s- every seven years there was a year like jubilee year, mm. so free from debt and clear all debts. Yeah, yeah. and they d- and the Bible is also very clear mm. that they didn't follow that mm. for four hundred ninety years, mm. and then because so <laughs> it's really hard to do to not work the land, so it's like prior to the jubilee year. Uh, every seven years you rest the land, and every forty-nine years is the right. is the jubilee year. Mm-hmm. So, seven so times seven. Yeah, seven times seven. So it's like prior to that you don't work it, and then the year that you don't you don't work it, and then you imbe- you put the seed in the the next year. So you don't have harvest for three years. Oh, okay. Yeah, because it's like you can't. You know what I mean? Yeah, that was in yeah, and the the. Yeah. Uh, so literally, they're dependent on God for those three years. But mm. But Israel was in captivity for 70 years mm-hmm. in Babylon. So if you do the math, mm-hmm. every seven years, they didn't follow the Shemitah, oh. which is the... So 
So this seven is deep. times seven forty nine divided by seven. Seven math. Mm-hmm. So what they did not do, God said, "You still owe me." Mm. So mm. they, because through their enslavement, their land rested for seventy years. Mm. Oh wow! So you can't rob God. Right. That's why Malachi three says, "Don't don't test me on this." Hmm. You can't you can't keep what you not it's not yours. So that was in the context of like agriculture, farming, but obviously related to like money and yeah, resources and all that's that stuff, right? That's how that's their money. That's yeah. their it's it's not money is not about money. It's really about your dependence. We just mm. it's about what you depend on. It's your identity and your security. Mm. It's like mm. makes you feel good about yourself and you drive some cars and materialism it makes you feel like you're somebody and then mm-hmm. it, it gives you security like oh I feel secure I have money I can do things I don't have to worry that's that's the root of all evil that's mm-hmm. the Bible says. it's mm-hmm. not it's not like money itself it's the love of money oh. and the sick money like the dependence or independence from God well that's what money does right yeah that's Nobody, nobody thinks that they're greedy. Because, like, if you sleep, if you're sleeping around and you're sleeping with a woman, like, let's say Ty was <laughs> sleeping with <laughs> sleeping around, he's not. You're of the course. new guy. You <laughs> Ty is the most pure on. person in the world. <laughs> I'm doing. Th- I'm saying it because he's not. Everybody on the everybody listening. Ty is the more p- most pure person in the world. Tyler. Now he's blushing. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's just say somebody named Ty <laughs> right. was sleeping around and he's not supposed to. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, y- as soon as you're, you're about to do that, you know you're sinning. Mm-hmm. Nobody wakes up w- one day and go, oh, I'm greedy and repent. They don't do that mm-hmm. because it's a slow burn. It's like a, it's a sickness embedded in your heart that's slow. It's like the frog in the water that's cold and then it boils right. slowly. Huh. You're not you're, you don't you're not consciously aware of it. Like if you fight somebody on the street and you lose your temper, you know right away that's I did that. That's wrong. Mm. Like I'm I'm so bad, and you repent. But when you go out and you start buying things that you don't need and start. You know, or you you're really cheap. The opposite mm-hmm. ex- extreme is that you're really cheap and you're hoarding hoarding your money and you don't you're not generous. Mm. Um, you don't think that you're doing anything wrong. Nobody repents of that. When was the last time you repented of greed? Mm. I would say most people do not. Yeah, that's really sorry, Tyler. I love you. Love you too, Steve. My wife was si- my wife sitting here, and then she looked at me like, Shaking. "What is your problem?" <laughs> Thank God my wife's here just to give, put me in check. I'm just looking straight at her. Anything I say, she's gonna give me the. <laughs> this is a treat because we don't often have Sonia here. Yeah, so. let's let her say hello. <laughs> she's waving. She says she says hi. Um, like going back to what Josh was saying about how talking about money is like taboo in churches or not as preached on sometimes like what do you think i don't know if it's like super open-ended but like what attitude should people have towards money i don't know in regards to rain city or like you know people who go to rain city like what attitude should they have towards money Mm. um 
it's the same thing as like their attitude towards like worship. Because mm. mm. giving giving money is part of our act of worship. So mm. it's it's like you know when you come to church, are you ready to worship? Are you w- and then it's not just on Sundays. Are you ready to worship? Are you wor- worshiping God throughout the week? You know. So if I say if I tell people like go listen to worship songs, praise God. Mm. Yay, we will. I'm going to go listen to some sermons. Yay, I'm going to like listen to Zach's playlist. Yay, I'm going to do, you know, nobody's going to think anything of it. But if I tell people, you know what, be really generous this week. Mm. Flee from the love of money. If you feel greedy this week, give extra. Buy somebody lunch, like give some money Mm. away. That's what I do. Whenever whenever I start to feel a little bit like hoardy, you know, like hoarding, mm. and then like my eyes become lustful towards material things, I actually want to give. I just want to buy people lunch. I do. Mm. I do. So I do buy a lot of people lunch and dinners. It's because that means I have <laughs> I have materialism <laughs> embedded in me. I'm trying to fight the good fight. I'll like see that as a science here, <laughs> like. <laughs> no, exactly. Don't yeah. don't stop yeah. me from fighting that spirit of greed inside mm. of me. Mm. It's my active dude. It's active way of like tithing and offering. Is my wife and I? We go beyond the tithe. We try our best, and then we, and then we, we just we try to be generous as we can because, for us, it's like, um, you just can't keep money. But you know the relationship you build and the seeds that you sow and. And the, the joy you get from giving is like, it's like mm. good for them and also good for my soul. It's mm. like that cleansing. It's like, it's what, it's the emptying process. Mm-hmm. It's, m- it's my intentional way of fighting, p- fighting the greed mm. and my dependence on money. Was that like a, did you give an analogy last Sunday on like the river? Uh, yeah, kind of p- like that. Yeah, like mm-hmm. you got to give out and then so that the flow the inflow comes to otherwise you kind of be like a stagnant cesspool that's my own add-on but yeah it's kind of just stewarding resources as it comes in so that Mm -hmm. you can pour it out what how did you how was it viewed in your church when you were growing up what did you think about offering and tithing I remember I used to put a loony in the offering basket all my life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every every Sunday <laughs> morning. <laughs> every Sunday morning, my mom would give me, like, yeah, a toonie or a loony or, like, five bucks and be like, okay, like, you know, they pass the offering thing and you have to, like, pass it to the person next to you. And then there's, like, ushers who, like, pass it to the next row. And you just, like, put it in, sing, like, an offering song. And then that was it. Like, it wasn't ever really preached about or like like why do we do this like it might they might tell us like where the money's going to like whether it's like mission funds or like they have like a whole breakdown of like where the money goes to um but they never really touched on like the importance of tithing or like even why we tithe or like even though i was you know seven years old like why am i giving a dollar like why am i giving like five dollars like yeah mm-hmm. what about so you tyler uh you t- yeah yeah my old old church like way back when uh yeah we did they didn't really talk about tithing that much uh I, f- I felt like there's a big culture of shame so like if you didn't bring any money like somebody would give you a dollar just so that you could put something in there even though it wasn't your dollar <laughs> and 
<laughs> you should have kept it. <laughs> you would have yeah. collected in your pocket. Yeah, I should have done that. Um, but yeah, it definitely like I think that building that kind of culture felt like there was kind of this like negative connotation with tithing, even though it's meant to be something that uh, you know helps uh, the church and whatnot. Um, and I, I think because there was like the shame element, and also nobody spoke about it, it was kind of this like unspoken uh, period of like going to church every Sunday, where like you would feel guilty, and then you like would just pray that you know people wouldn't like look at you or stare at you if you forgot money, uh, and then you know go on into worship and and whatnot. So. That's kind of my experience. Yeah, well, a lot of the elders in my churches growing up were the ones that gave the most money. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, I think it's totally wrong. It's, it kind of like sets, um, sets that church up for failure. So it's that idea like, oh, you gave so much, you know, you must be, you m- you're important to our church because without you, we wouldn't like, thrive or things like that but we without you like you're the because most churches like there's only 20 percent of the congregation actually give most of the that is statistically what happens so even in our church it was like 20 30 percent it was a little bit better because we increased it to a few more percentage points that's why our tithing was really good but it for me it was never that care it was like it's your it's i care that you tithe but i think um and then in my old church if you didn't tithe you can't be a leader because where your heart is there's there's your treasure so it just shows me right off the bat unless you're in like abject poverty and you have absolutely no money at all and you're like scrounging for food and but even then 10 cents like that's how you get out of that poverty spirit you know, because it's like the dependence on God to provide you abundance. Like, state of lack, like being content in not having, is the preparation for abundance. Because it's then God can trust you. If you're a, you can be a thankful in not having all the things you want, but having the basic necessities, and you have that. And then if you're truly content and thankful, that's when God can say, "Oh, you can. I can trust you with abundance." Because you know it's not about what you want. It's because your want, your desires and wanting has changed from material things to God. Mm-hmm. I don't have a lot, but I still have God, and I'm very thankful. Mm. So, I think at the end of the day, it's it's not about like how much you give. It's about the state of your heart. Mm. Yeah, ten percent is the most basic minimum. A lot of people ask me all the time. I had. I had seminars on this, and then they would ask me questions like, "Is it a is it on the gross or net?" They would <laughs> ask me these questions: Do I tie ten percent on the gross or the net? Do I is it is ten percent the absolute like? And you know, like they're asking all these questions, and I'm, I'm I always ask them why because you want to tie more than the gross. <laughs> <laughs> then you can see on their faces though that's not the answer I was looking <laughs> for because <laughs> they want to like try to reach the maximum limit, right? I mean, I always try to tell people 10% is the most minimal thing that you can do. It's like the borders. You're on the outer edge. Like, you want to build it up to where you're, you have so much abundance that you can give 50% away. Mm-hmm. And you still have so much abundance. 
I know that my mentor gives 55% of his tithing away. Mm. And 55 is your income, gross income. So that's mm. a lot. That's a lot. Mm-hmm. But he also makes abundant abundant amount of money. So his goal is to have 90-10, 90% away. I know that Rick Warren gives 90% of his tithing away. Mm-hmm. In Saddleback but Church. Yeah, but he made millions mm-hmm. on his book, I think. Yeah. <laughs> millions of dollars on his book, so purpose-driven life yeah, yeah so if he has a good home and a nice ca- nice car he wants to drive like what's it to you mm-hmm. because he's giving hundreds of millions of dollars away like, i don't know about 100 million but do you know what i mean like yeah. it's all relative it's not it's not about yeah the money like so i never judge uh, like a person like a christian who has a nice house or a car because you never know how much they're giving to the kingdom so, uh, I'll yeah, could you help distinguish giving to, like, church, the institution, as opposed to giving towards kingdom causes? Because let's say, uh, yeah, like, there could be some people out there that allocate a certain amount, like, or 10%, say, to a church, or, or maybe, like, whatever, say, 5%, and then the other rest of percent is to other causes that could be maybe faith-based businesses or whatever. Like, could you help distinguish where the, the church... And my belief is that 10% should always go to the local church, Mm. the storehouse of your village, of your, the community that you're in. It's Mm -hmm. like collectively you're giving that 10 to like benefit the collective. Mm -hmm. And then giving to charity is the, on top of that offering. The offering, right. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's it's your, it's your love offering. That's what we call it, love offering. The Mm -hmm. 10th is like the law. Mm. So it's like your taxes. So it's automatic. Yeah. But on top of that, if you're used to that, then you start to stretch yourself with the offering. Like right. Oh, this is that's why it's called a love offering. Out of my love for Jesus mm. and the kingdom, I'm going to give more. So I see. I don't count my giving to other things as my offering. Mm. I mean, tithing. You still have to tithe. Except that unless it's like something that you built and... Mm-hmm. It is your, your thing. Gotcha. Thank you. But I I don't know. I I think it's a very big topic, and we should focus on it. In the church, I think there's a lot of lot of poverty spirit in the church, and uh, I know I get a lot of pushback. But I'm really proud of Rain City on Sunday when I preached. I was shocked and surprised at the receptivity. Mm. Usually, it's very resistant. I could feel the resistance. It's like I'm dry. This uh, social psychologist, organizational behavior, Lewin talks about how for change to happen, the driving force must be greater than the resisting force. So when I'm preaching really hard, it's because I feel the resistance. So I'm trying to drive it forward. But uh, I didn't feel a lot of that, actually. <laughs> I felt like a lot of receptivity. So I was shocked this new generation mm. they may be flaky sometimes but <laughs> <laughs> they really 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 listen well it's like when you tell them the truth they really get it really quick mm. i'm shocked I, i've never had that kind of receptivity on the first money sermon yeah. ever mm. and then we and then we had lots of offering after that too mm. it showed in our offering mm. i was shocked of the level of like generosity these young people. Mm. It's because we're inundated with uh, financial TikToks. 
<laughs> plug your TikTok in there. No, not me. Not me. <laughs> There's like a ton of like secular content on just like how to be like retire early or like start this like fire movement. Mm. So like people like aggressively track all of their spending and then like allocate like let's call it 10 to 50% of their income to invest in like the S&P 500 so then they can retire in like seven, eight years or something like that and then live off of like investment income. Um, but that's kind of where my head was going when you were like talking about all this stuff because, uh, well, shout out to Jacob, Jacob Chang, because him and I, we have like aggressively or not aggressively, but we've been tracking kind of our expenses for like the last five, six years, I want to say. And I think that's really helped us separate this like love for money just because you can kind of tell what a person's habits are and like what they're wants and needs are just by kind of looking at their bank account mm. and often when you talk to people it's kind of this uh distasteful topic to say like oh hey have you like checked your bank account to see what you're spending and they're like oh i don't want to look at it because it just reminds them of like everything that they spent uh again like this guilt and shame but i think once you like kind of get over that hump and just start tracking everything and just saying like, oh, hey, I, this is what I spent. This is what I want or need. And then realizing like, oh, do you have like extra left over each month or each week? If not, then, you know, where can you cut back and then kind of adjust your living around? And I think you know, building that muscle over four or five years has really helped separate that love. But it could also go the other way where you kind of excessively want to it's kind of like a game where like every week you want to like beat the last week and like not spend as much money or spend more money depending on who you are but that's kind of the thing that i have yeah, kind I of been percolating that's really good i really like that tracking and um all of that i think people should be cognizant of that but i also think it can go to the extreme where people are like depending on their tracking mm. you know and then counting on that to like and also i'm not sure that I, I want to see people retire and live off their investments because that's also unbiblical. I don't think you should do that. Sorry, guys, millennials. I want to. You mean you mean like stop retiring as like stop working and just coast yeah, on? Yeah, living living off right. passive income because you invested so much, and then what are you going to do with your life? Mm -hmm. um, unless they're going to keep working, right? Because the Bible is very clear. We are born to work. Mm, okay. We are, we are born to for a purpose, and then when there's no purpose, and then so I'm afraid that so sometimes you can you can do that and be really good with your money, and then yet money is still your idol because that is your source of like security. Mm -hmm. And then for me, I don't think of money that way. I think of money as just a tool, as a seed, to invest into people's lives and. Paul, Apostle Paul says, "My crowns are my other people that I've invested into, and so at the end of my life, I may I may have nothing, mm -hmm. <laughs> but I have multitude of people that I've invested into, mm. and that's uh, and th at the end of the day, that's all that really matters." Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. I think my dad didn't leave me much when he died. Mm. And he didn't leave. He left my mom just enough to for her to, <laughs> to 
feel okay for a few years. Please pray for me so that I may have abundance to take care of my mother. Mm. But I'm I'm I not bitter about it at all. I'm actually very thankful when I think about my father because he invested into my life like since I was born. Mm-hmm. Like he he gave me all the investments front end. Mm. Sent me to school, sent me to university, sent me away to graduate school in California, paid for everything. Mm. Um, sometimes when I was younger, paid for my debts. Like He did all of that, and he paid for to raise my children when I was a pastor, and they were giving me $1,000 a month. Mm. Gave me my first seed money to buy our first condo, I mean townhouse right here near, wow. near Willingdon. Brought Boundary. On Vancouver side for two hundred forty-two thousand mm. dollars, which is oh, unheard. That of. would be a steal right now. Oof. That's like nothing <laughs> right now. You can't even <laughs> buy one bedroom right now with that. <laughs> yeah. It was a f- eight sixteen hundred eighteen hundred square foot three level townhouse. Oh wow, two forty-two eighteen hundred square. Foot. That was all God's blessing with my salary. Yeah, wow. I lowballed the guy big time. <laughs> I prayed real hard. So I I think. When I look at that, I'm like, his riches are so abundant in heaven because he invested in so much. He was very generous. Took mm-hmm. care of my mom's family. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah, he sent my cousins from Korea to school. Some of them. Oh, wow. You know, one of them graduated from medical school at Seoul University. Wow. Smart kid. And another one became a chiropractor. So he invested a lot. He sowed his seed a lot. In the family. Yeah, yeah so I think at the end of the day, his mm. legacy is not at the end like he did you know he lived a he lived a very frugal mm. life but he invest he like spread a seed everywhere mm. so in heaven i know that when he passed away his face was very very like peaceful and smiley mm. that's the first thing i noticed after i was crying a lot but i saw his face and he just looked so peaceful mm. almost like he had botox on like <laughs> like his face was so smooth no worries wow like it w- it was really weird and then he just had a little smirk on his face like wow and i knew he saw the he was watching he saw the face of jesus before he mm. passed away hmm. so i think his reward is in heaven and yeah i think i believe in wow. taking care of your finances but i also believe like just money that's like generational investment mm. that's really beautiful i love that yeah that's how i treat my money and I just mm. lavish it on my children and and then <laughs> pray that they become blessed and that's all that matters. I just even they if we don't have a lot for my our retirement or we don't have a house in Hawaii or <laughs> I, I'm just still praying Yet. for that. I'm Yet. praying for that. I'm praying all that to happen, but I'm saying I don't calculate everything on, on that. Mm. I just right. do it on out of love. Like mm-hmm. if I was doing it for money, I would not be in Rain City. Mm-hmm. That's the honest truth. Mm-hmm. Like I would, I mm. should be working at another job. Um, if I had, if I could, if I did a pastor job at a, like a, some church that gave a big salary and then relatively okay, and then I also had my teaching job, we would be fine. Mm-hmm. We'd be like, we're fine now, but we'll be more than fine. Mm-hmm. I might even dri- drive a Tesla <laughs> or a Rivian. Or whatever, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. But uh, we're not doing it for that. We're doing it. We don't calculate out of like. We just do it out of like obedience and love, and and then we all know that it'll come back to us one day. Mm-hmm. 
It's just all it's all in the flow. It'll come back to you. Mm. Through people, through there's so many ways that God can uh, reward you. Mm-hmm. That's why God says, test me. That's why it's not a tit for tat, the transactional. Like I give 10, you're going to give me 10. I put in 1,000, you're going to give me 10,000. Like it doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. It's the sum total of your life at the end. Like I was I was very generous and I gave it away. Mm-hmm. I, used, I used these res- resources to advance the kingdom. Like why would I be going to Africa? Right. If I wanted to like <laughs> make money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you go there and that's why I'm like, not mm-hmm. begging, I'm telling, go fund me, Global Joy Foundation. <laughs> 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 Why am I doing all that? Yeah. Because it's going to come back to you, man. Yeah, that's. I love that. It's really, you're not chasing after the money, you're chasing after the people, the causes, what you want to like create, and yeah, the kingdom that you're building, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this morning, I was actually at a BC Leadership prayer breakfast uh, meeting and Jim Patterson was there and he was uh, an- feeling, yeah, answering some questions and uh, um, wha- one of the answers he said was in terms of one question was uh, how does the church or faith-based businesses partner with the government and uh, yeah th- one of the answers said like don't like just just solve problems like solve problems that the city needs and the money will flow so don't worry about like getting funding or this and that like like find what the needs are and then yeah like money will just Jim Patterson yeah this generation needs a place where the holy spirit will fall down like the days of pentecost mm-hmm. and the generation needs to see Jesus fall in love with Jesus all over again their hearts burning reviving hearts restoring lives releasing heaven Jim Patterson we need a building Come on now. <laughs> you have enough save-ons. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect way to wrap up. <laughs> uh, one, one last question uh, I have, kind of going back to what we were just talking about. Uh, s- kind of just curious. So I, I know, you know, we're trying to, or not trying to, we sh- uh, should trust God in everything that we do, especially if we're uh, in relation to finances, something that... Uh, probably Josh and I can relate to is like if we're starting like a kingdom based business uh, I kind of dabble in venture capital and startup world every dollar that you spend every dollar that you make is forecasted in that type of environment like how do you take a biblical context where everything is forecasted you need to have kind of some level of confidence that you need you would be able to be you would be able to deliver and so in that world, it's all about uh, making reality over the next, like, 6 to 12 months happen. So it's, like, very different from kind of uh, this idea of, like, praying and things will just kind of line up, whereas, like, you're trying to make things happen. I was just kind of curious your thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't have, I'm not privy to a lot of those things, but I know some business people, and I know that, it is there. It is just a. Uh, it's a mentality. I'm not saying all you can't do all those things. You need to do all those things, but it's like you can't depend on those things. You need to, you need to allow God to transcend those things, and give you alternate like vision or, like surprises or, give you a different perspective on things and, like, 
I think Sonia was telling me about uh, today she was listening to a podcast and there was a guy who works for the FBI now, but he was a police officer and he just keeps getting promoted. And then the FBI came because he was solving problems in the city, like with gangs and and then, you know, with people that are hard to, like, reform, like, you know. So his whole solution is to hear God and see what God says about these kids and then release that to them. And then, so the FBI got involved. And then they said, how do you do it? And he said, you don't, you won't like what I, what I say. <laughs> and they said, no, we really want to know because you're, you're very successful. Your return, it's ROI, right? Your return on investment is very uh, good. So what do you do? He said, I pray and then I just do what God tells me. Mm. And they didn't like that answer. <laughs> but because he gets results, so now he works for the FBI. Wow. He said, we don't really care. You get results. So at the end of the day, it's not, you can do all those numbers and you can do the traditional way and get results. Yeah. But you can also get results by um, trusting the Lord mm. Mm. and doing unconventional, unorthodox, like opposite things, like closing your store on Sunday mm. when everybody's open. Mm. Like as a real estate agent, not showing people's houses on Sunday because you just made a stand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like the opposite. Like That's what everybody else does. Why don't you do something different? Why don't you not study on Sunday until 6 p.m. and then study for exams Sunday at 6 p.m. and trust that God will accelerate your brain? Mm. Like, you know, like, like you know, it's like that opposite spirit. Infusing that faith element. Into yeah, why don't you try that yeah. instead of... Just doing the old tradition of what everyone else is. There's a river where all the fish are going in one direction. Why don't you be contrarian and do something different? Mm-hmm. Truly follow biblical commands. We'll see what happens. Well, that's perfect. <laughs> Great way to wrap up. Awesome episode. We definitely get to cover more topics. But, uh, yeah, hope you guys enjoy. Um, if you have any questions, reach out to us. Uh, email us at info at rain uh, But yeah, until next time, have a great day.